Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fine show for you in just a little bit. I'll speak with Newsday Mets beat writer Tim Healy, and we'll preview the Mets season as they get ready to play Thursday at the Miami Marlins. The NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Final Four is set. We have UConn and three first-timers, Miami, Florida Atlantic, and San Diego State. To talk about that, along with a recap of the Seattle Men's Basketball season, is the head coach of the Saints, Carmen Mazzarella. Carmen, uh, welcome back to the podcast. How are things? Oh, I'm great. How are you? I'm hanging in. Can't complain too much. Uh, we're, it's, and, the, and the March Madness uh, wrapping things up. So what are your thoughts on the uh, Final Four field? Obviously, a, a really a different look. Yeah, that's uh, an understatement. I, you know, obviously, it's great having both Miami and UConn play here in Albany in the uh, the first and second round. So, you know, all of our fans had a chance to see two teams that are now going to be, you know, trying to cut down the net. Obviously, they play each other, which I think is uh, going to be an exciting semifinal. And then, obviously, FAU and San Diego State. I mean, you know, San Diego State's super defensive-minded, how they took away um, Creighton's three-point shooting, I think was very, was very um, just, game changing you know so that was the biggest thing for me was watching those things and then just i, I really enjoy understanding and, and, and analyzing the game plan with you know other things they tried to take away how they guard certain actions um but you know i'm excited very good teams uh obviously all playing well at the right time i know you can't play uh, a tournament bracket but if you had been how far in would your bracket have been blown up by all the upsets we saw in this tournament <laughs> Well, I let my wife do the brackets, so I, uh, you know, I, I try to pick some first round games for her, and then let her do the rest. Um, and my one side, the side with VCU, that was my only loss in the first round on that on that side of the bracket. So the other side was a disaster. You know, obviously, I think you know probably most everybody had Purdue at least making it a little farther. Yeah. Um, you know, Kansas as well, uh, Alabama, but no, I, obviously. Uh, just I enjoy the games, you know, especially the fact that we can host them. And uh, you know, Rich Enzer, uh, our commissioner in the MAC and in Siena College and our athletic department. I think that's so phenomenal that we could be, you know, the school behind running it in Albany, New York, which I think was was, was awesome. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, we saw two of the teams here in UConn and Miami. What did you think of them when you were we were watching the games? Yes, uh, you know, some of those guys I had to see, you know, when they were coming up in the AAU ranks when you're out on the road recruiting. Um, but I just think the way the way Miami plays, Jordan Miller I was familiar with when he was at George Mason. We actually recruited him when I was an assistant at George Washington. Um, so watching these guys' trajectory has been great, but their guard play. Um, and then their big fella inside who actually came back from a hurt ankle to play. You know, he's their X factor. Uh, and then UConn, obviously I think what's great about them is, is you watch their guys come in off the bench. So they leave Andre Jackson, who we all love, obviously a local guy, rooting for his success and him to be a national champion like Craig Forth was um, back at Syracuse. And I think 
don't don't quote me on it, but I think Syracuse came through the Albany region too when yeah, they won the they, national they, championship. Well, actually, that that was the yeah, they had the regional finals here that that year when they came through. So, okay. So yeah, they they did. So I mean, it'd be just amazing that yeah, we're, we're definitely going to see one of those two teams, either UConn or Miami, or Miami playing uh, next Monday night for the title. So that, that's a great thing, and uh, yeah, I think Albany should be proud of that that they got to see a, a got to see a Final Four t- a team in the in the championship game. No, I think that's uh, that's great. But for me, with UConn, right, you, they go to their bench and they have a transfer from Virginia Tech, a transfer from San Diego, a transfer from Texas A&M, Clinigan, uh, you know, a freshman, and then Andre. And that gives them kind of the, their, their second kind of, you know, arsenal of weapons. Um, and, and so, you know, Calcaterra especially gives them such a boost when he's making threes and they can get up and down. Uh, they're just so fun to watch. I think, you know, UConn's got to be the team to beat. Um, which it'll be, you know, they'll get they'll get Coach Laranega's best shot now. He's back in the Final Four, having led George Mason there, which is kind of special yeah. as well. Uh, you mentioned Andre Jackson, obviously from Amsterdam, attended Albany Academy. What do you like about his game? I know you don't get a chance to, to watch much because you're you're, you're focused on the, uh, your team there, but uh, from the games you've seen him play over the last couple of years that you have a chance to see, how much has he improved? I mean, he looked just incredible uh, the, the, during this tournament. Yeah, you know, Andre and I've always loved this about him is his passing ability and his vision. You know, he's a big guard. Um, you know, he can defend, he can rebound, he can start the break, uh, he can slash, you know, get to the offensive glass. You know, everyone's talking about how he needs to, you know, work on his three-point jumper. Um, you know, what I loved in their first possession of the first game they played in the NCAA tournament against Iona, Coach Hurley ran a shot to get him an open three because they knew teams weren't going to guard him out there, and, and he made it, which was which was just awesome to see the, the confidence that Coach Hurley puts into him. So, you know, just really love watching him play. He's just he, he's a basketball player. He's a winner. Um, I think a lot of that goes to Coach Fruscio, who was at Albany Academy for his uh, his duration, and now obviously at, a, at another prep school in Connecticut. But really, just enjoy watching him play the game because you can tell he's passionate about it. We have three first-time teams in this uh, Final Four. I mean, how refreshing is that to see? We don't, we're not seeing the the Dukes or the North Carolinas or the Kentuckys that we're seeing first-timers here. I mean, how how big is that for 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 college basketball? Uh, I think it's everything. This day and age where you know there's talk of expanding the tournament. I think the tournament's perfect where it's at. Um, you know, I love the buy-in. I love the fact that you get hot, you start playing at the right time. I mean, I think. In Conference USA, FAU was picked as a preseason fifth, right? So it's not just the MAC coaches that uh, aren't great at picking preseason polls. <laughs> well, you met FAU, of course, that their one tie of the Cavalry region this year was the fact they played uh, UAlbany uh, this year and, and beat UAlbany. So it, there's another Cavalry region tie to that. So, For sure. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk a little more about the UConn program. And then, of course, that, that the Huskies have been in several Final Fours over the years, and but their last appearance is in 2014 when they won the title. Because obviously, there's all these guys that are on the team right now have not been there. But the way they're playing right now, they're, they're playing like a team that's on a mission to win this, and I think their confidence is high. So how much is that going to help? Uh, that's that's the biggest thing, right? A, a confident team that's playing well. Um, you know, peaked at the right time. They went through a, a tough losing patch too in the regular season and kind of right at the ship, got back rolling. Um, no, they're just fun to watch. I think everyone understands their role and is bought into that. And, you know, there, there's no reason not to be right now when you have a chance to play for a national title. 
Yeah. Well, let's uh, turn things here and to talk about the uh, Siena season. And unfortunately for you guys, it didn't end well. You lost your last six games. I know it's just been a, a couple of weeks since the season ended. I mean, can you? Is there one thing you can pinpoint to what happened there at the end of the season? No, I mean, you know, we, we were playing really good basketball in January. We had, uh, you know, games that we won by one or two possessions, and we ended up losing those games kind of late down the stretch. You know, it seems to just kind of some things snowballed on us, whether it was, a, you know, consecutive turnovers or, you know, a missed free throw here or there or a missed box out. But, uh, you know, overall, like I said, I think it's the first time in seven years we had a winning non-conference record. Uh we won the Franciscan Cup. We won the Albany Cup. Uh, we finished third in a national tournament on ESPN down at Disney and uh, beat Florida State and St. Hall. So, you know, definitely highs and lows dealt with deaths in our program mm-hmm. from Evan Franz, our honorary member, and, and John Bayer, Michael's dad. So, uh, you know, I, I think it was a tough year emotionally. And, and, you know, getting our guys just to kind of battle through all that was uh, was great. I mean, we were right there. Um, the ball bounces one or two different ways you know i think we you know we have a little bit of a different season but still finished in third place um you know we haven't finished lower than third in in the five years i've been associated with the program for as head coach i think our our mac record in those five years is 61 wins and that's uh, a record as well so you know we're we're staying the course you we got to continue to work we got to you know get these guys understanding you know all these possessions matter and we got to be able to guard even when we're tired but like i said really happy um obviously injuries kind of took our toll too you know we weren't able to really ever peak to that form we were in orlando with the kind of freedom and aggressiveness that we wanted to play and so we talked about that right we want to continue to hunt we don't want to be the hunted we want to be the hunter so we want to continue to just have that mindset going forward and uh you know keep our guys in attack mode you know you always want to play to win and not to lose and i think as the season wore on this was a team that no one really expected to be in first place and next thing you know we're six and oh and have some wins over bcs level teams and beat saint bonaventure and next thing you know you know i think guys started to you know worry about losing as opposed to just taking care of winning and uh you know hey it's all a learning experience for them and you know they gave their heart and soul to this program and i'm thankful for that and like i said we still achieved some some great things and there's always room for improvement what are you looking for in the recruiting trial to help improve this team yeah so you know i think we need a, a bigger combo guard you know, somebody that can kind of play on or off the ball so we can move JV McCollum around on the floor. Um, you know, at times this year, Zach Tekken played the point. Even Jared Billups played the point. Gase Johnson played the point some. So, you know, with those injuries, we had to, you know, really manufacture different things. But I think being able to move JV off the ball to kind of rest him so he can still be in attack mode coming back to it is key. And then we need some front court athleticism and depth. Um, you know, losing Eduardo Lane, Jackson Stormo, Jordan Kelly, or Jace Johnson, Mike Bayer. Um, you know, you lose guys up front that are bigger, older, and mature. Um, you know, really like the freshmen that we have, the two signed in Braylon Smith, who's a, a 2-3, about 6-5, shoots it from Dallas, Texas, by way of St. Benedict's Prep in New Jersey. And then Michael Ojo from Virginia Beach, who played for Boo Williams' prestigious uh, AAU program in the Nike EYBL. Um, you know, he's 6-6 with a 6'9 wingspan who can play the three and the four. So those two guys will help. Um, And then we need a little more length, athleticism, physicality up front. And then, like I said, a a bigger guard that can kind of play on and off the ball and and just kind of do a little bit of everything, you know, 
if you look back at the teams we've had here, you know, with Don Carey, Jalen Pickett, um, you know, those two guys playing together. We had Jordan King, um, and then obviously Manny Camper. Those all four of those guys were able to kind of do everything for us, whether it's coming off of a ball screen, catching a lob, catching and shooting, um, getting out in transition. You know, that's how we want to play. We want to play with guys that can get up and down and make plays for one another. Uh, one of the teams you did beat during the season at, at uh, MVP Arena was Iona, and their head coach, Rick Pitino, has moved on to uh, St. John's. Uh, your thoughts on Pitino, what he meant to coming to the MAC? Obviously, he was uh, re- resurrecting his college basketball head coaching career. What did he mean to? Ha- what did it mean for him to, for the MAC to have him coaching Iona? No, I thought it was great for the league. You know, I thought it was great for the fans. I thought it was great for just the social media presence and the notoriety that it drew right so you know you're talking about our conference and a hall of fame coach that came and um it was great you know those those games against iona were great i think you know we were uh 2-0 at home and 0-2 on the road against them in uh in the regular season and hey it's always great you want to coach and you want to play against the best and so we were able to do that he's uh you know going to do really well at st john's and i'm sure we'll be uh you know looking ahead and, and see see how he does but it was it was great to have him and uh you know really enjoyable times and he's being replaced by uh tobin anderson who was coaching at fairly dickinson and a one-time sienna assistant what do you know about tobin yeah so we scrimmaged them last year in a close scrimmage uh tobin's a former five-star guy um you know i was a former five-star guy I went to camp worked camp um and so just another good person another good coach i think it's great for the league the league is a is a monster i think jay young at, at fairfield you know i think brought the analogy up that every mac game it felt like it was a root canal till the end um and i always kind of you know giggle at that one as well so no it's uh it's a league of tough-minded coaches great universities and colleges and uh really good basketball and uh, another veteran coach who uh, re- retired uh, sort of awkwardly was at uh, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, forty-seven years there as a head coach. What is his legacy? You think? Man, he. Uh, I think if you looked in the dictionary or the encyclopedia and uh, saw a picture of Syracuse and the Carrier Dome, and then just an equal sign and uh, a picture of Coach Beheim. I mean, he's from what he did as a player and then just the longevity he had in the profession is uh is so just admirable you know he's gone through a ton of different things uh different conferences all the pros national title um i mean i remember as a kid watching sherman douglas and ronnie cycling um you know and that was kind of the first taste i got of of syracuse basketball in the dome and uh, i'm good friends with with those guys over there jerry mcnamara red autry um uh, alan griffin so just uh you know obviously it's a changing of the guard especially in the acc with coach k and, and roy williams coach Beheim, coach bray you know all those guys are you know are not there anymore but um yeah, you just kind of enjoy what what you had and, and go back. And, you know, I'll still watch old games and old videos and, and different coaching clinics that those guys put on. And uh, that's that's what it's about. I think that's the, the joy of the game and the beauty of the game that he'll pass that torch on to Red Autry, who played there. And, um, we'll see what Syracuse will look like next year. Yeah. 
And I'll frame this question uh, carefully because I don't want to get you in trouble with the NCAA. Joseph Gerard III, obviously from Glens Falls High School, announced last week on his Twitter account that he's going to put his name in the NBA draft and the NCAA portal. Uh, what what can you say? I mean, can you talk about it? Is there any interest there? Or just what, what can you say about uh, Joseph Gerard? I can't really comment on him, but uh... – Joe Girard II played for my high school coach, Jim Zulo, and um, they're, they're good friends of, of me and my family and, and great people. And, you know, I'm excited for what's next to, to come for them and his family. And, uh, you know, we'll be watching. So who plays Monday night and wins the title? Oh, man. All right. I, I, I think, you know, UConn, I think it's going to be UConn-San Diego State. UConn, San Diego State, and uh, you know, I, I think it's I think UConn. I think it's their time. I think they got everything they need. I think everyone's kind of firing on all cylinders, and they're they're all doing their job, whatever that job may be. Um, but you know, San Diego State's tough. They're going to guard. It's going to be a good game. Um, you know, UConn will want to make that thing up and down, and I think San Diego State will want it a little more low scoring. But I think uh, UConn gets it done. Well, Carm, appreciate a few minutes talking college basketball. Uh, have a great off season, and uh, program you know, will be probably starting up, getting workouts going soon. I, I would think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Workouts again, and then uh, a little off time, and then summer school will start at the end of May, and then uh, we'll be in summer workouts. So, uh, and then I, the whole time we're recruiting and uh, you know trying to get better ourselves. Never ending. Nope. <laughs> so, hey, appreciate it, Carm. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks so much. That's Carmen Massarello. We're going to talk some baseball on the opening day of Thursday. And uh, Tim Healy of Newsday will join me next. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle, and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and college football on ESPN Radio. I grew up in Gilderland. I'm a proud member of the 518, and I go back over 30 years with Ken Schott. And when I'm not listening to his Schottsky Radio, I'm listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Here's Ken. Welcome back to the podcast, and it's Major League Baseball time again. The season opener start on Thursday, and the New York Mets will be visiting the uh, Miami Marlins on Thursday. And to talk about the Mets season is the man who covers um, the Mets for Newsday, Tim Healy. And uh, Tim, before we talk about the Mets, let's talk about your Boston University men's hockey team. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Going to the Frozen Four. Jay Pandolfo, year one, figuring it out. Good for him. Good yeah. for that. How thrilled are you? Uh, it, it's it's exciting. You know, I I, I was able to catch the end of their their second game this past weekend, and uh, you know, it's been a long uh, decade, decade and a half, let's say, for BU hockey. So uh, it's good to see them uh, getting back where they belong. 
Yeah, you gonna take some time off and go to uh, Tampa? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll, I'll get that luxury so early in the season, but I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on things for sure. You almost wish they had the schedule where the uh, Mets played in Miami and over to Tampa. That would have been a nice, uh, nice setup there. That would have been perfect. Well, let's start. Um, let's talk about the Mets now, and let's start with Edwin Diaz and the unfortunate injury he suffered uh, celebrating a win for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. How devastating is this for the Mets? It's very devastating. Let's just call it what it is. It's a, it's a brutal loss for them. It, uh, they, they have others who can close, but it's just going to have a chain reaction down the bullpen depth chart where it just overall weakens their late-inning options and late-inning depth and ability and all of those things. The, Edwin Diaz was incredible last year and even if say david robertson can be his usual solid closer self um you know the mets are going to be the mets are in a much rougher spot for the bullpen now than they were before that injury i don't think david robertson having he watched with the phillies after they acquired him from the cubs i don't think he's he's the answer myself but uh yeah he, he, he sort of petered out toward the ends of last year in the playoffs as well and had some walk issues, so we'll, we'll see what it looks like once the game start on Thursday. What was the reaction of the organization uh, when Diaz went down? You know, they said all the right things about uh, their thinking of him. They have other guys who can step up, and they have to focus on what they have, and they're still a good team. And they said all those things, but you could hear it in the voices of guys that, damn, that's yeah. You know, it's uh, they know there is no replacement. Especially, I mean, with the two major injuries out coming out of the World Baseball Classic, Diaz and Jose Altuve, who broke a thumb, he's going to be out for ten weeks. So, you, 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 I mean, what is what is the reaction of the World Baseball? It was great theater. There was a lot of great games in the World Baseball Classic, but when it's played, it's, it's, it's during spring training, and the sea guys, stars get hurt. I mean, is is it worth having the WBC at this time of year? Oh, yeah, big time, big time. I think the WBC was a highly entertaining, huge success for the baseball world and for MLB, obviously, which is the force behind it. Um, the question of when to play it is tough because there really isn't an ideal time. And the powers that be who you know, decide these things seem to believe that March is the best time for it. And honestly, I, I kind of believe it. I agree with them because November or December is just a total non-starter. People talk about maybe July with an extended all-star break type situation like hockey used to do for the Olympics. Maybe that would work, but then that raises all sorts of other issues. Yeah. So for better or for worse, March is, March is WBC time. And Let's and those games are so much fun. I I welcome it in March. Well, uh, Pete Alonso was one of the, the couple of Mets players uh, playing for Team USA, but he didn't have a great uh, World Baseball Classic. I mean, did he, did he? Have you had a chance to talk to him about it? And uh, uh, do you think it was just uh, one of those things? He just you know, slump slumping at the wrong time. Yeah, pretty much. He he did speak very highly of his experience of his WBC experience. He did not enjoy that much success. He didn't have that much success. And you could see it on his face, especially in the group stage when he's playing, you know, every other game at the most, pretty much. You could see on his face how badly he wants to succeed. And I think he was pressing a little bit, trying too hard. 
holding them that too tight, as they say. So he came when he came back. He said that experience in those games, those intense, sold out games, will help him come playoff time. So who knows? Maybe come October, he won't be holding the bat so tight and can lean on that intensity um, to. Stay, stay cool when it matters most for the Mets. Yeah, well, the Mets, of course, uh, we and I know we talked earlier this year about you know the signing of Berlander, the, the departure of Degrom. Team won 101 games last year. You know, faded down the stretch, ended up finishing second in the National League East, lost to San Diego in the wild card round. Uh, what was the message? Uh, what has been Buck Showalter's message heading into the season, coming off what was a great regular season until the final few weeks and then uh, the playoff loss. That's interesting because naturally at the start of camp, there was a lot of talk about last year and the way it finished for the Mets. But over the last really month plus, there hasn't been a whole lot of reflecting on the 2022 Mets. It's really all about the 2023 Mets. So if you look at it roster-wise, the Mets have largely the same roster, at least you know the same, a virtually identical lineup. Um, so they should be good again. The Mets know they should be good. Um, I cannot confidently say that they're the best team in the NL East, but they have about as good a shot as, as anybody, I would say, not only to win the division, but to make a deep October run, especially if they're pitching selfie by then. Yeah, I mean, look at that pitching staff. Obviously, Max Scherzer, uh, Justin Verlander, you know, coming off a World Series of win with the Astros uh, last year against my Phillies, unfortunately. <laughs> and yeah. just looking at that starting staff, after them, uh, what is it going to be like? For the pitching, for the rotation, yeah. Uh, well, Kodai Sanga's the most intriguing name of that bunch. He's a 30 year old rookie from Japan. He was great there for a decade plus, and so we'll see what he looks like in the majors. That should be really fun. And then rounding out the rotation is Carlos Carrasco and David Peterson. And Peterson gets the spot vacated by or created by the absence of Jose Quintana. Quintana had surgery on his rib. He's going to be going to be out until at least July. So David Peterson's going to get a lot of run here. So that'll be fun to see what he does with that after a really solid year and a six starter sort sort of job last year. So the Mets have a very interesting rotation. It's just uh, you know it's it's a little risky because it's built on guys who, frankly, in a baseball context, are pretty old. Yeah, I mean, how much? I know we didn't talk about this as much, but how much did Sterling Marte's injury affect this team? Last year, last year a lot, a lot. When he went down in September, it really dragged down the whole offense. He, he's a classic kind of guy who you appreciate him more, I think, when you watch him every day. You don't realize how quite how good he is, how versatile he is in the number two hole for the Mets, how good of a throwing arm he has in right field, which he took to very well last year. So having him back is going to go a long ways for the Mets, and, and it made a, a huge difference last year in September. And then, of course, their three-game playoff series against the Padres, which Marte played in but still had a broken finger. Yeah. Uh, but you look at his offense, too. I mean, we mentioned Jeff McNeil here. He led the majors with a three twenty-six average. I think Francisco Lindor had a great year coming off the you know, tough first year with you know with the, under the new contract. And uh, you know Brandon Nemo in center field. So I mean, this offense looks solid for 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 the uh, Mets. It does look solid. They were tied for fifth last year in runs scored in the in the majors. They had a, a very good offense last year. 
And we'll see if they can do that again. And I'll, I'll highlight two variables in that. You went down the list. McNeil, Alonzo, Hondor, Nimmo, Marte, Kenna. All those guys had great years last year. Um, so can they repeat that, all of them? Or will anybody slip a little bit, which, of course, will hurt the whole team? And then the other piece of it is besides Marte in September, the Mets had a largely very healthy position player group. And that is highly uncommon. So the question again is, will that be the case again this year? Or are things going to even out? And are they going to have to deal with some absences there? So there are the, the lineup can be excellent. Uh, but we'll we'll see what the reality holds. Mets owner Steve Cohen is certainly not afraid to spend money. The payroll is going to be projected three hundred seventy million, which uh, which shattered the previous record of two hundred ninety eight million by the uh, twenty fifteen Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, for Mets fans, I mean, how important is it to have an owner who's willing to go out there and spend the money when previous owners didn't do that? That. That is everything to Mets fans. You know, I think the whole Steve Cohen era through two years has been a breath of fresh air because the Mets are trying. They're spending a ton of money bringing in elite players when merited. Um, they're not a perfect team, of course, and money cannot cover up all of the issues with the club, the Mets or otherwise. Um, but the Mets the Mets try and I think if you're a fan all you can really ask is for your team to try it's true for the Mets it's true for the Phillies it's true for the Braves uh my thoughts go out to Nationals and Marlins fans but uh you know it's that's part of why it's going to be such a fun division a really good three-team race wait a minute Marlins fans they have fans (laughs) (laughs) they have some they have some it's not many but uh it'll be de facto Mets home games in Miami the the one thing with the World Baseball Classic getting back to that seeing games at uh, Lone Depot Park in Miami seeing games at uh in in Phoenix I mean they'll probably be the biggest crowds those stadiums will have all year with the baseball teams yeah that's absolutely true and the, the shame of it is, I remember in 2017, I was covering the Marlins, and Marlins Park hosted the WBC, and the crowds were electric, and Marlins players, several of them, went as fans and experienced that atmosphere there. And we all thought, wow, like if the Marlins can build a good team and get the community excited, look how cool the ballpark is. Now here we are six years later, and the Marlins are in basically the same spot and another WBC came and went and we're all thinking the same thing so I don't know if it'll ever happen for the Marlins but uh, maybe one of these years they'll make it interesting How tough will this division be with we obviously with the Mets finishing second the Braves winning the division the Phillies getting to the World Series I mean, how competitive will this division be again this year? It's going to be extremely competitive I think it's the best division in baseball and probably the most fun. I think the NL West is also very good, obviously, and that should be a fun race between two or three teams. Maybe even four teams can make it interesting, but the NL East is going to be awesome. I think the Braves are the team to beat until proven otherwise. They've won the division five years in a row. The Mets, of course, had the same record as them last year, and then the Phillies were a distant third, but as as you said, ended up in the World Series, and then added Trey Turner, Mm -hmm. who is maybe the most fun 
baseball player to watch in the majors. Um, so it's it's going to be it's going to be great. I'm really really excited about it. Um, have no idea how it's going to turn out, but that that's the fun of this time of year. Yeah, of course the Phillies lost a key component in uh, first base and Reese Hoskins to a torn ACL, yes. and uh, that's yeah, that's yeah, we'll see how that affects things. I, I think back to when. Jim Tomey uh, got hurt you know, when he was at the Phillies, and they brought up a young guy named Ryan Howard, and we never saw Jim Tomey again. We can't get a few years later in the <laughs> Phillies uniform. But uh, uh, obviously also we have rule changes this year. I mean, this might be the most significant rule changes of our of our lifetime. You know, I go back to 73 with the destiny hitter, and you know, I was too young to understand the uh, pitching mound lower, lowering in the 1969. Yeah. But we have a pitch clock. We have a, just a limited number of uh, throws to, to pick, pick off a runner, and then the end, the shift is no more. I mean, how much of an impact is that going to be on, on the game itself this year? I think it's going to have a huge impact. If we take spring training as a you know first initial sample of the kind of impact, the results are shorter games, which I think everybody is down for, shorter games that have more action so you know it's hard to really find a downside in that there might be some growing pains early in the season as everybody adjusts to the rules and everybody in that sentence includes umpires who are going to have to enforce them Mm -hmm. including some subjective calls but once you get past the maybe some crying and whining early in the year which i expect we'll see from players and managers and people um i think it's going to be really good for baseball and then one other thing this year is for the first time ever we're going to see all the teams play one another and you know, yes that's me you know, we were so that means reduced divisional games where you know, i think it was like 19 uh games uh you know the phillies and mets would play every year and i think it's down to like 12 or so but i mean how about that, that impact with you know, seeing everybody it's a big impact um it's it's i don't know you know competitively it'll be it'll be interesting i i think it's mostly for the fan experience and entertainment factor where for example the mets will play trout and otani every year or at least this year while otani is there um the only downside is and I, i like the new schedule arrangement overall but the only shame of it is that the nl east looks so great this year that it's too bad that we don't get those extra six or seven games between the Mets and Phillies or Mets and Braves. So um, that's a very slight downside, but uh, nitpicking, really. I'm just happy the Phillies and Mets are not playing each other uh, the series twice in the same month like they did in May last year. Yeah. <laughs> so soon. So, but for uh, uh, your projection for number of wins for the Mets and where they finish. 93, second in the NL East. Okay, it'll be a fun year, and uh, look forward to your coverage. As always, in Newsday, and uh, you know, we'll have you on from time to time as the season goes on. Uh, Tim Healy, appreciate a few minutes, and uh, good luck to your Boston University Terriers. Great, thank you. All right, that's Tim Healy, uh, Newsday. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Powder Party Shots podcast. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. 
Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Ted Remsnyder. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The week six winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Mary Furman of Hoosick Falls with 50 points. Mary wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Mary. The VIP winner was the dominating Jerry Peel of Frank and Sons with 45 points. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on how COVID-19 is affecting us in the Capital Region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated or a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Carmen Mazzarello and Tim Healy for coming on the show. On next week's podcast, I'll preview the NCAA Hockey Frozen Four with Dave Starman, who will be the analyst on Westwood One's coverage of the championship round from Tampa, Florida. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Shots. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.